everybody. This is Steve Gamlin, the motivational firewood guy, and you are listening and enjoying the Shadows Podcast. Hello, everybody. Caleb Pearson here, host and guardian of the torch of the Ignite Podcast. Ignite brings you professional, personal, and just all-around life skills development directly to you, the listener, on your own time without having to attend a class or a seminar in person. New torch bearers and episodes every Thursday with a new lesson and a new way to ignite your mind. Tune into Ignite on all major podcast platforms. And remember, as you journey into the shadows with Trip, you can't have the shadows without the light. Hey everyone, Trip Oden, I'm your host of the Shadows Podcast. I just want to announce Caleb and I are happy to bring to you our new YouTube exclusive show, Off the Air. Off the Air comes to you each and every Friday afternoon. During our episodes, we throw random rapid fire questions at one another. We recap the previous week's episodes of the Shadows and Ignite podcast, as well as talk about the upcoming episodes that we have. You can get all the information for how to get to our YouTube page on our link tree in this episode description. Make sure when you're over at our YouTube page, you hit the subscribe button. Also, all Shadows podcast episodes are archived and available for you to listen on our YouTube channel as well. So now, without further ado, enjoy this week's episode of the Shadows podcast. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer. But today, the 10-year-old Trip Bodenheimer in me is super excited to have. He is a former professional wrestler, host of the Man Up Podcast, founder of the Man Camp, along with Lex Luger, uh, who's another one of my heroes growing up. He is an author. He has three books that are out. He's a dedicated family man. He has an incredible spiritual journey. He is the Russian nightmare Nikita Koloff. Sir, thank you for joining us. Trip, great, great to be with you. And I'm just uh, thankful. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. It's, it's a privilege to have you here with us. So before I get started, I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you. So you are a father of four, correct? I, I am. I like to say I have, I have four children, all boys except for four of them. <laughs> So I'll, I'll, let, I'll let your listeners figure that one out, right? Yeah, I'm the same way with two. First question for you, what's the most cherished memory you have as a father? Gosh, uh, well, I'll help your listeners out. So when I say I have four children, all, you know, all boys except four of them. Obviously, I have four girls. And so probably, probably the most cherished memory is what those girls have taught me over, over the years. Um, and the key word there would be patience. Patience. I have. Uh, I've joked and I said I, I. I didn't. I didn't swim in the in the uh, in the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean or the Indian Ocean. I swam in the Estrogen Ocean <laughs> for, for many 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 years. Lo lots of emotions for when you're raising four girls, and so they taught me a lot of patience and and, and really just helped develop uh, compassion in me as well yeah okay yeah I'm, I'm surrounded by by women in my house as well so I, I can relate wrestlers you always hear especially like on a lot of the podcasts and stuff now uh notorious for pranks backstage things that are happening 
what is the best prank you can remember seeing? You know, I just I just recently got asked that question. It's not something you really kind of like I kind of think about, you know, and and uh, I, I would say and I don't know. Even when I was asked recently, I was trying to I was trying to rack my brain and I'm like trying to remember some specific pranks, you know, or what what, what we affectionately call in the business a rib. And I think more than I, I, I think I can give you a specific one, but more than anything, in my mind, probably the number one prank stir was a guy named Rick Steiner. I mean, really? And, oh yeah, and more, and more than Kurt Henning. Kremlin. Huh? More than Kurt Henning? Yeah, well, I wasn't around Kurt, uh, really. Kurt was in WWF. Right. And I was already departed from WCW when he came down. Now, well, you said in wrestling, if you want to go back to, okay, let's give a little backstory here since you brought up his name. So he and I, Rick Rude and Barry Darso and John Nord all played high school football together. Yeah. I was a sophomore. Kurt and Rude were were juniors. I went and bought I went and bought a letter jacket because I was you know I was confident I was going to letter as a sophomore, which I, I understand they don't even do that anymore. But back in the day, that was a cool thing. For those those who aren't familiar with letter jackets, go Google it and look it up. It was a cool <laughs> thing. And so anyway, we had a we had an afternoon game, and so we got out of school early to go home eat lunch, come back. I hung my letter jacket in my locker to go get my football uniform and I came back and it's gone. And I'm like, huh, who, who would have done that? Who? Well, there's only one of two guys I know that would have done something like that. Rick Root or Kurt Henning. And in this particular case, they collaborated together. And so I went to Greg Sutton, the, the, he was a senior, the captain and I was almost in tears, you know, I'm a sophomore. I'm like, somebody stole my letter jacket, you know, and I, I think I know who it was. And about 15 minutes later, here comes Greg with my letter jacket. I'm like, yeah, okay, R- rude and Henning, right? All right, so that's pre-wrestling. So Henning was a gangster yeah. for the record. Um, as far as in wrestling, for me and who I was around, the dog-faced gremlin, Rick Steiner, by far was the biggest prankster. And, and But he could back it up because he mm-hmm. had that wrestling background. So it's not like you could say or do much to Rick. You know, he, he'd take you down and, and put a cross face on you in a heartbeat, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, and, and I'll give you one quick, quick prank that Rick enjoyed doing. You could be driving down the interstate at 60 or 70 miles an hour, not paying attention, and 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 all of a sudden look behind you and 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 being rammed by by Rick Rick Steiner in in, in his car, pu- pushing you up the interstate. You're not going to hit the brakes. You'd be crazy to hit the brakes. Yeah. He just puts it to the floor and starts pushing you up the interstate in his car, and. and you're, you're helpless. You can't, you can't, until he backs off, there's nothing you can do. And you'd see him, you'd see him in, in, in the, behind the wheel, like, like, like a little giggling, like a little girl, like, <laughs> you know, and, and he just loved doing crazy stuff. So yeah. Rick Steiner. Okay. All right. Next one. 
three things on your bucket list? Three things. That good. Great question. Great question. Uh, the Great Pyramids of Egypt. I have yet mm-hmm. to see those. So the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Um, down under. I've yet to go to Australia, New Zealand. I uh, had not been there yet. So want to go to Australia, uh, New Zealand. And, and then I do at some point. I thought I'd already have done this, but, you know, it's been kind of crazy, right? So, and that is, I, I want to take a, like maybe a month or two, get a, get a, and I, I don't know that you even be able to do this in the future now, but um, I've always had a kind of a dream of taking a, a 30, 60 days, getting a Euro pass and, and seeing as many countries across Europe uh, in that 30 or 60 days, just whether it's one day in the Swiss Alps and three days in Austria or whatever, just kind of on and off the Euro train and, and just and a, a backpack and just, and just having the, the trip of a lifetime. You know? Oh, I definitely got pointers for you on that one. Definitely. Good. Well, uh, when, when that happens, I'll be reaching out to you then. Yeah, definitely. Definitely have some good pointers. So you were born March 9th, 1959 or Nelson Scott Simpson originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Talk to us about your childhood, like your upbringing. Yep. It, it very, uh, what I call very humble beginnings. Uh, I affectionately call them the projects or, or, or the ghettos of Minneapolis. It was, I, I guess the official name would have been Minneapolis Housing Authority, uh, <laughs> MHA. And we were just right off of the skyline of, of Minneapolis. I mean, we could, in a few blocks, just walk from our 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 home to downtown, and uh, which we did frequently. And, and so that's where life began for me. Uh, uh, also a, a family of four. I was the youngest of four. Uh, my mom raised me uh, by, by herself. Uh, my dad left when, when I was around three years old. So I had no real male role model or male figure to look up to. I did have some older brothers, uh, and I did look up to my oldest brother, uh, somewhat, but he was he was 12 years older than me, so he wasn't around long. Um, and so, a- anyway, around uh, in the fifth grade, my, my mom was able to move us out of the projects out to a suburb called Robbinsdale, uh, which is where I would eventually meet Barry Darso and Rick Rude and John Nord and Kurt Henning and 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 many many others. Uh, and I embraced. Uh, in seventh grade, uh, I embraced weightlifting and football. I, I bought my first bodybuilding magazine called Iron Man and really kind of embraced that. And I was introduced to my first male mentor, Bill Burke, who was my seventh grade football coach, who kind of knew my story and took me under his wing and, and really became my first male mentor. What's something like looking back that you really learned from Bill Burt? Well, I would say uh, generosity. Hmm. And I can specifically remember, you know, again, we didn't have a a ton of my my mom was a teacher's aide, so she wasn't even a teacher. So we are on a very limited budget. Um, Never really had a lot of money. We, We were I was a product of welfare. My dad didn't financially support my mom. So. You know, I, I remember food stamps. I remember, you know, I, we just didn't have a lot of money. And, and Coach Burke knew that. And I, I remember him 
uh, taking me to uh, the sporting goods store uh, through he he had it was pretty cool he had a he had a Corvette that's probably where I had got the dream of one day wanting a Corvette he he would only bring it to practice on sunny days he he would even leave practice if it, if, if it started getting cloudy to take the vet home and, and come back with his work truck but he he took me in his car one day to the sporting goods store and told me to pick out whatever I wanted whatever I needed and back in those days you, you know he wore the big arm pads and stuff and and uh, so I you know and I didn't want to overdo it so you know I grabbed a couple things he's like man get something else you know and so I you know I was kind of embarrassed in a way but just so I would say the word generosity coach Burke was very generous and and taking care of me you mentioned that you got into uh, football weightlifting how important was that for like the development of you as a uh, as a teenager it was everything I, I mean it was it was I was I can remember being 12 and and kind of planning out my future and when I got that magazine I was already I like I like to kind of joke and not really though but I was already an entrepreneur by that time when I moved out to the suburbs I got a paper route mm-hmm. so I started working and earning my own money uh, and then eventually I got I took on a second route and it, it just kept growing and expanding it uh, but when I so when I got that magazine, I went to an old store called Sears and Roebuck, and and bought a bought a hundred and ten pound plastic weight set. I don't know if it had sand or concrete. I was going to say the sand ones. Yes, it was either sand or concrete. Probably sand. But um, bought this hundred ten pound weight set. Started reading the articles about nutrition and exercise, and 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 just really embraced it and just kind of got this vision in my mind uh, of and, and planning life out where, uh, and I started watching football, which inspired me to go play football and, and meet coach Burke. And, and then the dream of one day playing professional football, like, like many young men. Um, and, and then my, and then my second mentor came into my life in ninth grade named Jerry McFarland. Was a health teacher. He was a gymnastics coach, but he was also a professional bodybuilder. Hmm. And so he took me under his wing. And, and at, we actually even became training partners. I mean, he trained with me and he had he had this the state-of-the-art weight room at our junior high school there. Um, he had the best weight room out of four junior highs and three high schools. He had the best weight room out of all of them. And, and so I feel very fortunate, you know, to, to have Coach Burke, Jerry McFarlane, the vision for football and weightlifting. And I, I, I lived, ate, slept, breathed it. I mean, that, that was my world. Yeah. Okay. So from there, you went on to play, like you said, at Robbinsdale High School. It's like a who's who of uh, professional wrestling, especially around that, like one school I would have never messed with right there. Played defensive lineman, then you were all-conference wide receiver. Uh, You graduated in 1977, went on to Golden Valley Lutheran College to play football and found it pretty interesting. You played alongside uh, Road Warrior Animal while you were there. What do you remember about that experience? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Well, and, and even my decision to go there, I, I tell people this, you know, it was a, it was a Bible college. Uh, just small, just kind of next door to where I was living, Golden Valley, Minnesota, was was right next door to Robbinsdale. The the number one reason, well, two reasons why I went there. Well, maybe three. I, I knew four out of the five coaches. Okay. In fact, the defensive coordinator was a guy named Bill Burke. So from seventh grade, Bill Bill Bill's back in my life in my freshman year in college. Wow. Uh, the defensive coordinator, and and, and they were the number one junior college team at the time in the nation. And so I tell people, I didn't go to learn about Jesus there. I, I went because of, uh, of football, you know. Yeah. But uh, And then I, in turn, I, in turn, would be re- the one, if you want to say, responsible uh, for making the phone call to recruit Animal out of Irondale High School in New Brighton, Minnesota, to come play ball with me. In fact, I can still vividly remember the night him and his mom and dad came to tour the campus and, and I chaperoned them around and we just clicked and hit it off and became the best of friends. Wow. Yeah. And then it was pretty interesting twist to the story a little bit later on about how he ends up recruiting you, but you, uh, you get injured, you suffer an injury while you're there and then rehabbing, you start attending Minnesota state university, Moorhead, and you shut, you suffer a shoulder. Or was it a in, shoulder injury there? No, uh, it actually, so so this is, so the, these were some potentially pretty major setbacks. My freshman year, uh, for those who are avid football fans who might remember, this is kind of ironic too, Joe Theismann, when yep. Lawrence Taylor fractured Joe Theismann's leg in a game. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you know, you can, I actually verified this, when, when, uh, when this the their their last uh, Alex uh, Alex Smith, Smith. Mm-hmm. do you know same team, same injury, literally same day, like November nineteenth, really? Weisman fractured his leg, like in nineteen eighty something. Alex Smith fractured his leg November nineteenth, two thousand and something. Wow, same day, same team. Now, obviously different opponents, but just a weird that's a weird little fact for your for your for your following, right? But all that said, <clears throat> I predated Joe Theismann. I, I fractured my 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 right leg my freshman year. Uh, many thought it, it was career ending for Joe Theismann. Now Alex is is 17 surgeries later is trying to come back, right? Yeah. Um I didn't have fortunately I didn't have 17 surgeries, but I came back. And, and when I was told I, w- I would never be able to play again uh, by my old high school football coach, by the way, who I didn't never really like anyway, but, but that was motivation for me, came back and played only to fracture my other leg, my senior year in college. Wow. So not one, but two identical fractures to each leg. And, and I like to say, they, they were setbacks, but I, I didn't allow them to hold me back. I used them as, as motivation to come back. That's really important, too, because there's, I mean, I was just talking to someone yesterday who's encountered a setback, and you, you can't see what's ahead necessarily at the time. It's only like what's right in front of you. 
for you at such a young age with a setback like that, and you've had a dream of playing football professionally, what did that do for you mentally at that time? Yeah, well, let's let's take the first one because I was only 18, right? Mm -hmm. I was an 18-year-old punk kid. <laughs> and um, I can remember, and, and there's, a, uh, there's a cool follow-up to this story that I, I'll quickly share with, with you and all your listeners, Trip. I'm 18. I'm laying on the field. I know what my dream is. I'm laying on the field, and I can vividly remember thinking – and, and I knew I knew my leg was shattered because when I when I looked, I sat up and looked. I mean, from below my knee down to my ankle, my leg was in the shape of like a Z, right? So it wasn't in it wasn't wasn't like the L that it normally should be. It was in a had a different alphabetical letter. So I knew my leg was shattered. <clears throat> and I can remember laying on that field in my mind, thinking my leg is shattered, my dreams are shattered, my career is shattered, my my life is shattered. And thankful to a dear, dear friend of mine, Tim Peltier, still the longest friend to this day. Um, he was our quarterback, not only in junior college, he was my quarterback in high school as well. And that, that was kind of a factor why I went over there too. But um, he kind of nurtured me through those 17 days in the hospital and, and helped helped uh, in my my mentally helped me get through that and then eventually uh, I would I was motivated I've been pretty much a self-motivator most of my life I was motivated to come back from that injury and and here's an interesting quick part of that story that was in <clears throat> that was in 1977 that that happened and in 2018 uh, I have a brother-in-law who's retiring from work who happens to live and work in a little town called Thief River Falls, Minnesota, where I broke my leg my freshman year. He's got a retirement party. So I fly into Thief River Falls. My brother and my brother-in-law pick me up. We, we, go, we first go by the little hospital they took me to, which is where he actually worked the hospital where they took me during the football game. Then we went over to the stadium and I was able to get in. They were having practice. I was able to get in on the field. I took a bunch of pictures on the field. I got down in my three point stance, had some photos taken and walked off that field where I had 40, whatever years earlier, I got carried off the field. It's really cool. Yeah, so there was some real, I like to say, some real closure that that I had the opportunity. I feel the Lord gave me the opportunity to, to have closure to what was a very traumatic time as an 18-year-old. That's an awesome story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, so after that, you end up being recruited. Scripts kind of flip on. You end up getting recruited into pro wrestling. Uh, tell us about that story. Yeah, so it did get. That's right. It did. It got flipped. It, it animal, animal, animal doesn't finish college. I do. He doesn't. Uh, he ends up getting married and having a, having a baby and and uh, his his first child and 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 then next thing I hear is you know he got into pro wrestling. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And and then I can remember, gra you know, graduating from Moorhead State, 
graduated. I can remember um, you and I were talking, I think, before we came on air about, about and I love your introduction, by the way, the 10-year-old kid in me. You, you don't know how many times I meet people that are like, dude, I feel like I'm 14 again or, you know, or whatever, 9, 10 years old. Um, and, and then the 605 uh, Superstation, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I can remember going over to either over to uh, uh, Joe's house, his parents' house, uh, or sometimes we we would go to uh, we would go to a restaurant where they had TBS or whatever and ask him to turn on you know championship wrestling, and so I'd watch it with his parents, and it was kind of fun, pretty cool. And then just fast forward, condense the story. I, I'd randomly get a phone call one day in 1984, in the spring of '84. And he, he laid out this storyline. He had been approached by Don Kernodo, who was Ivan Koloff's tag team partner. They were the world champions. And, and, and Don asked him this, hey, Animal, do you know any big guys who wouldn't mind shaving their head and becoming a Russian? Of course. And and <laughs> he's like, I know the guy right now, you know? So he calls me and shares the storyline with me of the nephew for Ivan. And, and I, said, I said, Joe, do they know? I have no amateur background and no professional training. I've never been in a ring because I told them, they said they didn't care. I go, really? I go, so what do I need to do? He goes, we'll call this promoter in Charlotte, Jim Crockett. I go, okay. So it gives me the number. I call Jim Crockett gets on the phone. I only have a five minute conversation with him. I introduce myself and I'm like, now, Mr. Crockett, you, you understand. I have no amateur background, no professional training. He goes, yep. I go, and you're okay with that? He goes, yeah. I go, so what's the next step? He goes, be in my office on such and such a day with your head shaved bald. I go, that's it? He goes, that's it. Okay, see you then. That was it. That was our conversation. I never had another conversation with him till I rolled into Charlotte, North Carolina, the day he said to be there with everything I owned to my name, which wasn't much, and, and introduced myself. He took a look at me, introduced me to Ivan and Don, Nikita Koloff's born in the hallways of Charlotte, North Carolina in 1984. Wow. And one thing uh, that I think is incredible about your journey, uh, the whole Cape Fay, which is, you know, keeping it real around uh, the crowd and stuff. And it, it was, it's just a remarkable journey as a whole because you embraced that character. You had to learn to speak Russian. Talk to us about that in the 80s because now, you know, there'd be an app you could pull up then it would probably be really simple. But how in the world did you uh, accomplish all of that? Yeah, it is. that's a great question because you're right because I've actually done this. I'm like, how do you say this word in Russian? Do you just go to hit Siri or whatever, right? It just yeah. gives it, just says it. Well, yeah, that, there wasn't that easy access back then. So I somehow I got, I got my hands on a, on a Russian workbook, a cassette tape, and if some of your listeners don't know what that is, just go Google that, a cassette tape. Um, but I got, I got a cassette tape, you know, learn Russian in 30 days or whatever, you know. Um, and, and this workbook, and I learned, I signed my name in Russian. Now, I never became fluent in Russian right. at all. But, but I could, in fact, I was speaking, I was, I was doing some ministry a couple of weeks ago, and there's this international basketball team there and this young kid from Russia. And he's like, do you know any Russian? I go, well, I go, how about Diadia? He goes, oh, that's uncle. I go, yeah. I go, how about, I go, how about Bushalo stop? And, and he said a little different way, but he goes, that's please. 
I go, how about Adin? He goes, oh, you're counting to 10, you know? So, so there was a little, a little bit I learned. And I figured, uh, Trip, I figured I learned enough to fool the stinking Americans, you know? And, and, and then, of course, sign my name in Russian. And, and believe it or not, I had somehow, I, I found the subscription to Pravda magazine. You ever heard of that? No. Pravda magazine was a Russian propaganda magazine. It was in English. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I, I subscribed to that because I thought, well, when my mail carrier brings my mail, he's going to see the name, see Pravda, and go, wow, th this guy really is from Russia. So when you want to say I took it, I mean, I even, I even went to the phone company, the power company, to the management office when I first got my apartment. And we gave the same story everywhere. This is my nephew. He doesn't speak any English. I'm going to co-sign for him. Wow. And in my mind, I'm like, if I really was from there, how would such and such a word sound or a sentence sound or what? And so I took about six months and didn't speak English anywhere in public at all and just built the story in my mind. Yeah, it's... Two things about that. First, I grew up, like you said, watching you cut promos uh, as the Russian nightmare. And then I think the first time I had heard you do like a shoot interview, I was like, that's not how he sounds. That's not that's not right. Uh, right. right. Yeah. Wow. He's mastered the English he's language. He's really mastered the English language. Very <laughs> Kudos to him. But then the other thing that I think is crazy and for our listeners who aren't necessarily a pro wrestling fan or have never watched it. You watch Nikita Koloff and you embrace that character on screen and off screen. Christian Bale is not Bruce Wayne when the camera is off. He is Christian Bale. So I think that's one thing that is crazy about pro wrestling is uh, how much these, like The Undertaker, uh, embrace this character out and about uh, in public. So that story is not even done. I, I got to ask you about this one that I, that I heard. There was an incident in Kuwait at the Rus with the Russian embassy. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy. I, I, I look back now, I'm like, I wish I would have had a little bit different. But so so the the ambassador for Russia, you know, who's the to Kuwait. Um, we're, we're, we're going to do a 10 day 10 day tour in, in Kuwait. And, and all, but uh, interesting, all at the same stadium. So we didn't have to travel anywhere, but we're going to wrestle for 10 nights in a row. Well, advertising is up everywhere, right? All over the city and around the country of Kuwait. And, you know, hey, come to these pro wrestling matches. And the, and the Kuwaiti ambassador or the, the Russian ambassador sees the advertising. So he reaches out to the promoter over there, the local promoter, and goes, because, you know, I got the hammer and sickle on my tights. Mm -hmm. CCP headband on and he's like who is this guy I mean if he's from Russia we want him staying at the embassy and, and, which which I was like I ain't staying at no Russian embassy I may never get out of the Russian <laughs> but um and he goes and if he's not why is he pretending you know an, an imposter so he's you know and so the promoter had to smarten him up to the fact that no 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 this is just a persona a character so then he got mad, I guess, right? He's like he goes, "Well, I want, I want all the, all that, all those headbands and the hammers. I want it all blacked out, you know, on every advertising you do, you know, whatever." 
But I found out the first opening night, I'm in the dressing room, and they come down, they go, hey, just want you to know the Russian ambassador and his wife are out in the stands. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, they, they came to the matches. They're here tonight. And, and so the kind of a crazy part, I, I'm at over here in America, I'm the number one most hated guy in wrestling by fan polls, right? I walk out to the ring that night and I get cheered. And I don't know what to do. Look, I'm a bad guy. I don't know. I don't know how to be a good guy. But fortunately, I wrestled a guy named Sergeant Slaughter. Mm. Well, Sarge walks out and he gets booed. Like for real. I'm like, okay. So we get in the ring. I'm like, Sarge, Sarge, I, I don't know how to be a good guy. He goes, just follow my lead, kid. Follow my lead. I'm like, yes, sir. You got it. And, and I ended up getting my hand raised. I won the match. The crowd cheered. The Russian ambassador and his wife went home happy. Wow. That's a good story. Yeah, crazy story. Yeah. And talk to us about the crowd. You kind of hinted at it right there, but especially in the Crockett, like Southeast region, some of those hostile crowds, what's one thing that really stands out to you is, I don't think I'm going to make it out of here. <laughs> well, there's a couple of thoughts. Well, I'll give you one. Be, being which by the way I think I, I I thanked you before we came on air but but thank you for serving our, our great nation our, our absolutely and and all the guys that that you work with um you 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 may or may not appreciate this story but but um Fayetteville North Carolina Fort Bragg clash of champions well not just the class it's oh, yeah yeah it, it wouldn't even had to have been that it would have been Ivan's interviews Uncle Ivan mm. interview and he like we're cutting a promo for Fayetteville and he would say something to the effect and I want to see all you soldier boys in the front row wearing your yellow dresses and I'm like really Ivan like for real like yellow dresses I'm like you're gonna get us killed dude uh, and and so for the record all those soldier boys they'd be in the front row they were not wearing yellow dresses and they let us go real quick. We were number one in their hearts. So that was always interesting, wrestling in military towns. And then, and then as, as a bad guy, as a heel, uh, you know, it looks, sounds like you've done, done your research, but, but I had six different matches, six different matches where fans actually came over the barricade after me. In fact, the very first one, the greater my first ever match against Flair at the '85 mm -hmm. American Clash. You, your your listeners, go watch the old clip, and you'll see the fan get in the. He actually gets in the ring, gets yeah. his hands on. And I didn't know. I didn't. I it, I never thought about, and it didn't dawn on me till it took me a second to go, "Who the heck is this?" I'm like, yeah. "Oh my gosh, this got to be a fan," you know. That happened six different times, and then another military town. One other quick story. Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. You know, Crockett comes to us one day, he goes, Hey, we just want you to know, you know, we got some death threats, you know, that if you, you and I haven't show up in Charleston, they're gonna kill you, but you'll be all right. We'll we'll boof, we'll beef up security, you'll be fine. Sure. I'm <laughs> right. Well, and I'm like, I'm ten foot tall and bulletproof, right? So I'm like, ah, whatever, who cares? You know. But in my mind, I'm ten foot tall and bulletproof. Gosh. I heard it was you got hit by a spark plug somewhere. Puerto Rico. 
someone and it cut your arm or something like that? Absolutely. I walk into the I walk into the ring, and, and all of a sudden I, I I you know bam I feel something like hit hit the back of my arm. I'm like, ow, that kind of hurt. And I, so I put my hand on my arm, and when I pull it back, there's blood on my hand. I, I look down, there's a spark plug laying on the ground. I'm like, oh my gosh, the, those kids used to sell bags of rocks outside the stadium to throw at the heel at the bad guys, like for real. It was crazy. Different time, definitely a different time. Yes, yes. Uh, another thing that stands out is the uh, you know listening to you know something to wrestle or all these other podcasts. The car rides that y'all would have up and down the roads were like moving classrooms. Talk to us about some stuff you learned in those long, long car rides you had. Yeah, especially in the early days and in, in, in the early beginnings, because again, no no wrestling background, right? No training, none, like zero. Like like my my debut was in the Dorton Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Crockett wanted us there early, but we got there late. It wasn't my fault. I was just long for the ride. I didn't know what's going to happen. We get there late. Uh, we didn't really have any time to get in the ring, so they really didn't show me anything. I think he started having second thoughts, but Ivan, to Ivan's credit, Ivan talked him into still letting me debut. So they taught me how to tie up and lock up and stuff in the dressing room. A couple, you know, a couple basic moves, and fortunately for me. You know, my first match only lasted 11 seconds, so I was very fortunate for that. Um, and and I was told by Ivan, don't trip on the ropes. Or I guess Crockett said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm history. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. You're out of here. And so I'm like, okay, don't. And, and I said, how hard can that be? But if you've never climbed in a pro wrestling ring, it's harder than you might think it is if you've never done that. And so that I'm like, don't trip on the ropes. Don't trip on the rope. Don't. <laughs> Kept repeating myself. And I didn't. Um, and, and then, and then we get to the towns, you know, two, for the next two, three months and two or three hours early, Ivan and Don and I, and they bump and thump all over the ring, teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. I'd have a very short squash match. Ivan would sit in my corner. I'd sit in their corner for their world tag team defense title defense. And then on the way home every night, we would discuss old school psychology of wrestling a, a lost art that's no longer there but um the art why they did what they did when they did it how to draw the fan into this that or the other so fortunately for me i was a quick adapter um and i was able to to kind of gain that understanding that knowledge or, and then apply it each night that i go out the next night and and yeah so on the job training so to speak a, a moving classroom you were right and by the way, we averaged in those early days 2,000 to 2,500 miles a week in a car. What's the most matches you wrestled in one year? 454, 1986. Math definitely adds up well. So two a days <laughs> and zero time off on that. Gosh. A lot, lot, lot of matches. A lot wow. of matches. Especially we throw TV matches in, TV tapings and stuff, because you could have – two or three matches in one night mm -hmm. on a television taping night. Yeah. My, my dad and I went to a, uh, uh, back in the day, WWF TV taping in uh, Charleston and it was like six hours. And yeah. Marathon, right? The marathon. And you'd see the same guy come out three or four times uh, taping all the syndicated shows. So yep. 
An- another thing that I-, I talked to you before we hit record about this for me as a fan, you know, the Magnum TA series that you had was incredible, but talk to us about uh, that car accident he got in, how that changed, uh, you know, the landscape of Crockett and, um, you know, just, it was a very unfortunate end to like a very, very, very promising career. It, it was, it not only changed the landscape for Jim Croc- Crockett promotions, changed the landscape for Nikita Koloff because, and, and by the way, that's the most often referenced part of my career, the best of seven series against Magnum TA. In fact, really good. Recently on Twitter, they were talking about some other, I don't even know the names, honestly, but it was like a best of five series or something. But the comment was, hey, if you really want to see, you know, one of the best ever series, go watch Magnum T and the Call it best of seven, you know, so you know, flattered by that. But that said, most often mentioned, you know, again, a tragic ending, as you said, to a, a very promising career. He was being groomed to be the world champion. And, and we had great chemistry with each other. And I look back and, and you know, who knows? There's a lot of what ifs, should have, would have, right? But, you know, what, what if he hadn't had the rack and got, got injured? You know, there's a pretty good possibility Nikita Koloff never uh, would have become a fan favorite. Yeah. And him and I would have had, I believe, matches for two, three, four, five years back and forth for Bell. Not, not just the two, but – on and off for, for the world belt, for, for flag versus flag, chain matches, cage matches, and, and, and everything else. Because we just had great chemistry uh, and a great relationship with each other. So it, it not only changed the landscape of Crockett promotions, it, it changed the career of Nikita Koloff. Yeah. You changed your name legally to Nikita Koloff. What made yep. you go through that process? Uh, again, I, in my mind... I didn't know at the time I learned later on kind of what I was doing, just like I, I didn't dream of being a wrestler or didn't, wasn't looking for the opportunity of wrestling. You know, there's a number of things in my life that that's now that has happened with now, but, and the term, the term I came to learn was it's called method acting method acting. And I, cause I didn't take acting lessons either. I mean, I, I believe it or not, I hated, I, I, I used to skip class when I thought I had to speak in front of the class. I mean, back in high school, like for real. And, and so I, again, as part of my projecting myself into this character, I guess I became a method actor. And, and so changing my name legally was just a part of that. Cause I felt like eventually I'm going to, I'm going to get stopped by a cop, you know, speeding down a highway or something here in the Carolinas or somewhere. And I'm going to fly in an airplane. I'm going to, and the more my character got over, the more exposure I had. You know, I didn't want somebody look at my driver's license and go, oh, you're not, that's not even your real name, you know. So they'd look at it, and because I always stayed in character, they were more convinced, even like you said, to watching that first interview going, wait a minute, where's his accent? Oh, my gosh, you know, his English has improved. So in my mind, that was just another piece of the of, of of fully getting that persona over and you kind of went in and out of wcw from the early 90s late 80s early 90s you had some stuff going on in your personal life around that time 
between everything that was going on in your personal life and then just the toll of being on the road, you know, wrestling 400 plus matches a year, traveling from town to town, what kind of toll did wrestling take on you emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually? I, um, well, I'll, I'll start with the spiritual. I, I didn't, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I, I didn't have a relationship. At best, I, I understood the story in my head that there's a man named Jesus, you know, that, that I went to a church a handful of times. I didn't grow up in church. So I didn't grow up in Russia. Uh, but, but I knew this story, you know, this man was crucified on a cross with spikes driven through his hands, his feet, spear through his side, rose three days later. Uh, so I knew that story. So spiritual, there, there wasn't any my, a whole lot of effect spiritually per se, uh, although I can see the hand of God orchestrating my life even when I wasn't serving him. Um, mentally, emotionally, it was challenging for those who don't know. Uh, ninth, you know, I was I was uh, dating a gal who 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 was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 24, and and she battled it for two years. She would she would eventually pass away at the age of 26. So mentally, emotionally, that you, you know, you might think, well, that would draw a person to the foot of the cross, but but it didn't. It, it was a step in the process of of eventually coming to the foot of the old rugged cross. Um, but it was my first introduction at the brevity of life, how short life really is, or how short life can be, uh, mentally, emotionally. And, and of course, physically, that business is very demanding physically. Um, and of course, I, you know, I'm still into weightlifting, heavily into weightlifting all through my wrestling career and in a, a routine and a groove to stay physically fit, eat healthy. And so I was, I was in and out because I, I did officially step down, walk away really in the prime of the career, the you know, main event wrestling, right? Uh, I, I just felt it was only right uh, as, as life grew shorter for her to, to go home and take care of her. And so I took, if you want to say, a, a leave of absence or a sabbatical uh, to do that. They, they weren't happy or thrilled about that, believe it or not, um, but nevertheless, that in my heart of hearts, that had to be a priority. She had to be a priority. And I eventually went on to marry her just a few months before she passed away. Um, just felt like that, that, you know, that would, there was, there would bring some hope for her in that. Uh, and, and uh, as, as we got married together and, and spent, spent those last few months together. And, and then, as you said, I, I would then go back to WCW but the business was different, and they treat honestly treated me different after that uh, as well. So, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but but uh, but they did. So, the one thing I wanted to ask, kind of as a follow up to that one, and you'd mentioned your wife Mandy, which I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, but also some of the guys we mentioned earlier, like Rick Rude, Kurt Henning, Tom Zink, you went to to school with. Those guys have all passed away along with um, Joe Laurinaitis. We were talking about Road Warrior Animal. Hawk. Or, yeah, Hawk, Hawk passed away. I mean, just so many guys um, from that time and, you know, from my childhood uh, watching wrestling. And But you were really close to all those guys. So it, some of us maybe lose, you know, for most part of our life, lose one or two people. Uh, but yours is a, is a handful. How have you, uh, especially before – uh, you opened your heart to Christ. How did you really, uh, you know, cope with that? 
Well, it's a, it's a great question. And in fact, somebody just on, on social media messaged me the other day and they go, oh my gosh, you and Paul Ellering are the only two left from the war games. Mm. I was like, wow, that's, that's true. You know, um, from the days of the road warriors and the superpowers. Right. And so I, I guess in one sense trip, we asked how I cope with that. Um, so because of the experience with Mandy and what I saw her suffer through, uh, through chemotherapy and radiation, losing all of her hair, buying her wigs to help her maintain a, an assemblance of her beauty and, and, and to help her mentally and emotionally, um, that once these guys started, started passing, fortunately for me, uh, I mean, it was heartbreaking to hear some of them, you know, Kurt Henning's story and, you know, the hotel in Tampa or, um, you know, Rick found an, on, you know, by his wife on the living room floor, you know, one morning. And so most of them ha have happened since my encounter in my walk with Jesus. So, so I have a better grasp on an understanding of death now. Um, and for the ones, for the few or the handful that happened prior to my salvation, the death of Mandy helped me better understand death, if that makes sense, I guess, for your listeners. Okay, no, I appreciate you you opening up with that. And you found faith in Christ on 17 October 1993. You had already stepped away from wrestling a year prior after an injury. Uh, how did you, how did that day become the day where you were like, this is the day that I'm going to really change my life? Yeah, a, a divine appointment is the only way I could really want one way I phrase that a divine appointment. And, and again, there's a number of things in my life that that parallel that I wasn't looking at getting into wrestling, but the door of opportunity opened up. I, I, I wasn't looking at being an evangelist, a minister, travel the world, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. But but I was in a season where I'd left wrestling under my own terms. So again, and, and for those who, uh, I'll just mention why it's on my, my, my brain. This is how my brain works. You know, for your listeners, I actually just launched a brand new website, koloff.net, koloff.net. Um, there's, there's two books on there, one motivational, one inspirational. The Nikita Tale of Ring and Redemption is my life story. For those who maybe want to hear more, more details of my story, um, they can order it right off the new website. But um, um, I, I wasn't really looking for that. And, and But I'd met this Christian couple through business after I left wrestling. And I left under my own terms, uh, again, at, at the age of 33, very unusual, just like the way I broke in was unusual. Now I'm leaving wrestling in a very unusual. In fact, Lex Luger, you mentioned mentioned Lex. Him and I do a lot of ministry together. We do camps. He's a man camp. Um, and we've done a lot of ministry together. He, he'll tell the story when we're together sometimes. Like when he first heard I was leaving, he's like, what's that guy, an idiot? What's he, was he crazy? Because it, it went from wrestling, went from, you know, making a handful of dollars to, to these guys making multiple millions yep. of dollars. So for your listeners, I want to understand, I walked away from that. I walked away. The guy who essentially came and took my place, a guy named Bill Goldberg, they signed him to a, a $3 million a year contract. Mm -hmm. I didn't make that my entire career, let alone per year. 
And so I literally walked away from millions of dollars, which is why Lex thought I was a, an idiot, you know, but little did he know, or I know that 11 months later in this pursuit of what life held next for Nikita Koloff, I would say it this way, Trip, I was successful in many people's eyes and even my own, but I was unfulfilled. Hmm. I'm like, something's, wait, I've climbed the corp, I climbed the ladder of success, achieved this worldwide level of fame on a small scale, but yet I'm still unfulfilled. And then I'd met this Christian couple through other business ventures and they invi had invited me to their church. And then the divine appointment is I just called them up one day and I said, Hey, I'll be there Sunday. And, and, and that was the first time I'd ever walked through the doors of that particular church. And when an invitation, what we know is an, uh, what I know is now is an altar call was given yep. in my heart of hearts. It was my aha moment. Like, Man, what's missing? Remember that story I knew in my head about this man, Jesus? Well, on that day trip, that story made the trip, <laughs> made the trip from my head down to my heart. I encountered Jesus that day. And honestly, life has never been the same since. Yeah, it hasn't because you've been doing some amazing things. Mm -hmm. You, uh, I see the shirt that you got on now, Man Camp. If you don't mind, fill us in on what is man camp. Yeah, just real quick, if, you know, for men 18 years and older, um, Lex and I co-facilitate this this camp, and and guys come in. We got a property, about a hundred acre piece of property, in northern Georgia that we rent there. We do one in the spring, one in the fall. Uh, our next one will be in April. Just go to mancamp.info. I N F O. Mancamp.info. And and what he and I. God gave us this vision back in 2015. He lived with me for about 10 months. And out of that time, birthed this vision for these camps and a one-day conference I do solo called Man Up. Uh, I bring that into churches, communities, uh, just a Saturday conference. I usually stay over and preach. And that's kind of the appetizer. The Man Up conference is kind of the appetizer. It's not a prerequisite. I mean, we have guys who don't go to the conference, just come directly to the camp. Like we already have guys signed up from Nevada, from Louisiana, from Wisconsin. Wow. Guys come from all over the world. We've even had trip guys come from Europe. I know you spent time in Europe. Yeah. Um, just word of mouth. And it's guys who ha have a, a hunger for more of God. They just want to go deeper in the relationship. Or maybe they don't even have a relationship, but they want to go deeper um, and encounter God in new ways. And so it's based on 1 Thessalonians 5.23 being whole in spirit, soul, and body. And so what Lex and I have done, combine our, our years of experience together. We, we talk about eating healthy. We talk about exercising. We do some very simple outdoor activities at the camp. You know, we talk about being mentally and emotionally healthy. We talk about being spiritually healthy. And our goal, Trip, is to send men back home for your lady listeners. If if you give your men your blessing to come to this camp, our goal is to send them home better equipped to be godly men, godly husbands, and godly fathers. That's, awesome. that's our. That's awesome, and yep. it's good. It's good to see uh, Lex Luger doing that too. He's doing yeah. so. I mean, it's it's incredible to to follow along and see what he's doing. You've also written three books, which. Definitely tip my hat to you for that. Uh, so tell us the listeners about your books that you have out. Yeah, which is funny again, because right, because I hated English in high school. So the fact <laughs> I'm writing books, 
has to be a God thing. I'm you just, just learned English not too long ago. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, right. So now I did I learn English. I, I learned to write in English and, and write some books. So, so yeah, I've got, I've, I've written three. I'm working on a fourth book right now to wow. be the others. Um, the first one, I'm actually going to go back and, and, and do a remake on that. Um, it's been out of circulation for a while. It's, it's time to do a remake on that. But the two that are my website, wrestling success, developing a championship mentality, that's motivational. If you want to be motivated and challenged, um, you, then, then get that book. Go on my website, go on koloff.net, get that book. If you want to be inspired, go get Nikita Attell, The Ring of Redemption. I like to say this. My, full, my whole story's in there, but William Murdoch, who did it with me, is a wrestling historian. Mm. So if you're an avid wrestling fan, and, and for, I know some of your listeners aren't, but or if you want to learn more about wrestling, we – we, we weaved a story within a story. Uh, William goes back to the 1800s of the history of wrestling. And, and we tell that story uh, along with my own story of how I got into wrestling and then life after wrestling as well. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and definitely keep us posted on that, that fourth book that you have coming out. Yes, and sir. You're also into podcasting. Did... did, did, <laughs> yeah. did now I have to ask, did wrestling being in front of a mic for so long, talking in front of large audiences, did that kind of plant a seed when this whole podcasting thing came up with, with man up podcast? No. So, so here, so here again, this is crazy. I wasn't looking at being a podcaster mm-hmm. I looking at like it actually airs on radio on truth radio network in, in Richmond and Petersburg, Virginia, in the triad, the triangle, Charlotte, Gastonia, so it actually airs on the East Coast on radio first. Hmm. And, and then it's uploaded to all of the podcast platforms, right? Um, but the Stu Epperson, the, the owner and, and CEO of Truth Radio, reached out to me uh, last year randomly. I only met him a couple of times. He goes, we need to talk. So he drives down to my house, spends three hours at my house. He goes, you need a weekly radio show. I'm like, oh, okay. So... I never thought about getting into radio or podcasting, honestly, just like didn't think about being a wrestler, didn't know I'd be a Christ follower, didn't know I'd be a podcaster, right? And so I prayed about it. He prayed about it. I felt confirmation and, and, and for this reason. In my mind, I felt like I'm supposed to reach a certain number of countries. Now, I've literally traveled so far to 30 countries. Mm-hmm. And I've been to all 50 states, but I thought, how can I gain more ground and and reach more people? How can I expand my message and my story? And it was like, again, aha, oh, airwaves, technology, radio, podcast. So last September we launched, it's it's called the, the Man Up Podcast, but the full, it's time to man up. And uh, we don't just have men listeners. We have a lot of lady listeners as well. But already, this is kind of a cool story. Already in a short period of time, it's already been downloaded into 30 countries so far. And, and, and uh, we've got some really cool. And I don't, just, I don't just interview wrestlers. Like I did a two-part series with Sting. It was really good. Tremendous feedback on Lex Luger, uh, Monday Night Raw guy named Jackson Riker, mm-hmm. who is a believer. Yep. Uh, that's my home church. He's part of my men's Bible study. And, um, and then, but I interview, I interview celebrities. I interview 
people in ministry. I interview people in business, in business. Like I've got an interview coming up soon here, Rachel Barbo, who, who is a pioneer groundbreaking women's sideline sportscaster back in the days when women were well welcomed onto the yeah. sideline. Fascinating interview, 17 years as a, as a sportscaster. Fascinating story that Rachel has. She'll be coming up soon. And, and now one other quick thought. Um, I just launched uh, uh, questions and answers with Koloff. So for all your listeners out there, um, you can email me some messages, you know, koloff.net, email me some messages, some questions. It can be wrestling related, ministry related, life related. And, and, and if you're available, you'll get a personal phone call from me wow. and we'll have 10 to 15 minute conversation highlighting your questions. In fact, just, I just loaded, uh, I had a guy named Dwayne Soper from Canada. He's a huge fan. I didn't even know I had fans in Canada trip. <laughs> I did a 21 city tour in Canada a few years back and I met Dwayne and his family. He had check this out. He had submitted some questions about suicide. Mm. He's like, I don't know if you want to talk about this. I, so, I said, bro, let's talk about it. He had a best friend of his 26 years ago that had committed suicide. Dwayne was still struggling with it all these years later, still kind of hurt by it. If people go on and listen to that conversation, especially if they've experienced something like that, uh, I know Dwayne said afterwards, that it really helped bring healing to his heart to be able to open up and talk about it. Yeah. And uh, so, so Q and a questions and answers with Koloff. Um, and I'm just having fun with the podcast and I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Yeah. It's like I said, it's incredible stuff that you're doing. You you've got your hand in so many different pots. It's, but it's all just remarkable. The, the things I listened to the, the two part with sting and yeah, it is. It, it's great. It is a great podcast. It's great stuff that you're doing. I encourage our listeners to go out there and, and listen to it. And one of the last questions, well, actually, I got two last questions for you. Okay. Big thing you have learned about yourself throughout this entire journey. Whoo, man, that's a whole podcast in itself, Trip. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not a 60 second answer. <laughs> oh, man. The biggest, the biggest thing I learned about myself. Wow. Um, uh, honestly, uh, I'm, uh, like all of us, we're all we're all on a journey, right? And and I look back, I reflect back in the last twenty five or so years, uh, and 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 I'm I'm honestly humbled by by you said, oh, you got your hands in a lot of things. And I do. Uh, it's true. And, and my view of it is, is it's not, it, my attitude is, I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah. I can't believe I get to go preach this Sunday. I can't believe I get to go speak at the summit, men's summit on Saturday. Um, I, I can't believe I get to do a weekly radio show on a podcast that's that's going to go, by the way, my goal is a hundred countries. I want that podcast downloaded into a hundred countries and the plan is to syndicate the radio show to two or 300 stations across America. And, and I can't believe I get to do this. I just, so 
I've become an ambassador for Truth Radio Network, and just recently this this week, uh, came aboard as an ambassador for a a ministry in in Fort Mill, South Carolina, and so I'm I'm grateful, thankful, humbled at what I what I get to do, and I guess I recognize it's not. There's a scripture comes to mind, Trip. This is not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Hmm. That it's it's not in and of myself. And I, I, I let me let me say this because you this kind of relates to even your question about podcasting, preaching. When I look back at my wrestling career, I flew on airplanes, I rented cars, I stayed in hotels, I talked to microphones in front of cameras. You had asked me, you know, did wrestling help me with the podcast? Mm-hmm. Help me with much more than that. When I look at the ministry, Koloff for Christ Ministries, and what I've done the last 25 years, I'm like, oh, hang on. I've flown on airplanes. I rented cars. I stayed in hotels. I talked to microphones in front of cameras. So wrestling, God's sense of humor, he kind of set me up for, for my destiny. Yep. My destiny. And radio and podcasting has just become a part of that. And so all that to say, to summarize that, to say what I've learned about myself is God has given me gifts and talents and skills and abilities to do all these things. But I'm, I'm, I'm quick to remind myself, do not take any credit for any of this. Give all the glory and all the credit to God. Yeah. yeah. And you, you brought up something in there as well. That was some advice that I've been told once was once you start saying, I have to do this, then your goals are all offset. It's I get to do this. I'm lucky enough. I'm fortunate enough to do this. I, I get to go to work as opposed to I have to go to work. So I think that's, that's yeah, really important. Right. right. No, that's, that's, that's a great point because, <clears throat> because no, no, you don't, you, you, you know, it's like whether you can or you can't, you're right. Oh, I can't do that. Well, you're right. <laughs> oh, I can do that. Well, you're right. You're right. It's all in your attitude and your perspective, right? Yep. It's not, to or, or get to you know i mean it's, it's it's in your perspective of things and so for for sure that's uh that's a, a great approach to life in and of itself if you take it with that attitude final question for you 50 years from now when people mention nikita koloff what do you want them to say about you who Wow, you've got some great questions. I'm glad you didn't give me these ahead of time. Or I didn't know these. Because <laughs> um, I think about when you ask that question, I think about not just people in general, of mm-hmm. course, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You know, the word legacy is always thrown around. Uh, I, but I hope more than anything, anyone who crossed my path, met me, uh, heard me speak, listened to the show, or you know, watch me wrestle or, you know, uh, but, but watch more importantly, observe the latter part of my life, uh, would say that it was a man who, who was absolutely in love with Jesus, who set out at that point to make a difference, uh, in, in everyone's life who he encountered that when you meet me, you walk away, not being impressed by the wrestler Nikita Koloff, but more than anything, uh, by the man who God has molded and shaped me into, uh, and that I become a man of, of compassion, uh, a man of, of genuine love for others. 
and and just desiring that they would say he he made a difference he made a difference yeah and the put kind of a, a bow on this episode uh where can they find out any and everything about nikita koloff oh thank you thank you and i know we've mentioned a few things along the way so we'll just quick reminders for you know for for your listeners so uh, go check out the brand new website uh, koloff.net and and browse the store and see if there's something there that that might might bless you or bless somebody you know um and so there's there's koloff.net um there's also uh mancamp.info if you're if you're a man 18 years or older you're a, a, a gal listening to this and you got a son or a husband or a father or a brother or and uh, please share that website with them, mancamp.info. And, you know, we take this small groups of men. We, we've still got some space for April. Um, love to, to, to meet some, some guys I hadn't met before who go, hey, I listened to Trips podcast, and that's how I heard about Man Camp, and that's why I'm here. You know, I'd love to meet, that, meet you uh, and spend some time with you. And then, of course, you know, all the social media platforms, I mean, uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter, Twitter, uh, uh, Instagram, Nikita Koloff with the numeral one behind it. That's me. Facebook, look for me standing in a river with two other guys. Those guys in the river is Ted DiBiase and another friend named Jason Sanderson. It's actually the Jordan River in Israel. Wow. We were taking turns baptizing each other in the Jordan. And so that's the real me on Facebook. And so, and then go download the podcast and please subscribe and, and, and spread the word and, and listen and leave a review and, and let me know how you like it and send in your questions and let's have a conversation and get you up on, on, on Q and a with Koloff. So there you go. Yeah, we got, we, I always say we're like the David Hasselhoff of podcast, our show, because we're really popular overseas. Uh, so give him some some listeners and some subscribers uh, overseas as well. Sir, thank you for doing this. I was a huge fan of the wrestler growing up, but I am an even bigger fan of the person uh, that I've been fortunate enough to encounter today. So thank you for taking time to join us here today. Thank you. And, and you know, blessings to you and all, all your family. And and again, just I want all those in, out in the military world to know that that you are in my prayers. And I don't just say that. If I tell you I'm praying for you, then you can take that to the bank. Uh, I, I really am. Uh, it's not just a little cliche. Oh, I'm praying for you. Um, just know I'm, I'm praying for your safety wherever you're at in the world. You As you don that uniform, uh, you are, at least from one person, you are being covered and bathed in prayer. And, uh, and thank you, all, all of you, for, for serving our great nation. Well, thank you. And folks, that is going to conclude this episode of the Shadows Podcast.